Did you ever wish you had the magic words to just fix a problem that was going on in your life? I said last week that our family enjoys watching the show Fool Us, where we have magicians trying to fool the the legendary pen and teller to earn a spot on their show. And as much as we like the illusions, as much as I have always been a fan of illusionists and, and magical creativity, I know that abracadabra is not a secret word. There was even one on the last episode that we watched where it was all around the phrase hocus pocus. We know that is just a phrase. I wish that there was a simple phrase like that that I could just rattle off and it'd make things better. It would make an ailing friend cured of whatever was causing them distress. Or let's just be entirely practical. I could just say a magic word and all the laundry in the house would be instantly done. Folded, put away, ironed, everything ready to go. In today's story, we look at people who really had power behind their words. They could say a word and something would happen, on the surface at least. Until one day, they couldn't. The story comes out of Matthew 17, verses 14 to 20. Let's check it out. When they came to the crowd, a man came to him, knelt before him, and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Jesus said, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and he came out of him, and the boy was cured instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I tell you, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Well, it seems like we have both ends of a power story here. We've been st- spending these last few weeks looking at the episodes of Jesus displaying his power so that when we get to uh, Good Friday and Easter in another two weeks or so, uh, there will be some context to the power behind the resurrection story. And Jesus has been called on to heal a boy from a demon. He seems to be suffering from epilepsy, uh, but of a dangerous sort. You know, we understand epilepsy more now than we did 2,000 years ago when this story was taking place. But the father says, instead of just having a convulsion wherever he is, he falls into fire or he falls into water. Dangerous kinds of situations. And he says to Jesus, I went to your disciples. I asked them to try and heal, but they couldn't do it. So I'm going up the chain of command, Jesus. Can you do it? And Jesus says in verse 18, And Jesus rebuked the demon, and he came out of him, and the boy was cured instantly. Now at this point, if you've been following us throughout this season, we're five weeks into this study of Jesus' power. And you may hear this story and you'd be like, all right, yada, yada, Jesus does another miracle. Great. How is this one supposed to be different than any of the others that we've talked about the last four weeks? Even more so, what's it got to do with me? How is it going to change my life? I don't need an exorcism. I mean, my neighbor, that might be another, another story or this tool I can't get to work that just kind of goes off on its own. Uh, maybe something like that, but I just need something to make it through my day. That's why we're going to focus today on not the Jesus display of power, but the other end of the power spectrum. 
asking the question that the disciples eventually asked, what made them fail? Because they, disciples, while they were commissioned to be able to do some of this miracle work, basically be able to drop a word and something happens, what can we learn from the fact that they couldn't do this, they couldn't pull it off? Now, honestly, in over a decade, I have never, of doing ministry as a, as a pastor, I've never been asked to do an exorcism. I've never been asked to deal with expelling a demon from somebody. And honestly, I don't even know what I would say if I, if I was presented with the, the request to do so. But maybe that's not the goal. Maybe, <coughs> maybe the goal isn't trying to rearrange the Rocky Mountains. As Jesus says, you know, if you tell this mountain to move over there, it'll do that. And if you tell this mountain to move over there, you can rearrange the whole mountain range. Maybe that's not the point. But Mark's version of the same story gives us something. When the disciples come to Jesus afterwards and kind of have a debrief time, say, all right, Jesus, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we expel this demon? Why couldn't we heal this boy? Jesus gives them the answer in Mark 9 when he says, he said to them, this kind can come out only through prayer. Ah, see, now we're starting to get somewhere practical. Maybe you've ever asked yourself this question. Why does it feel like my prayers aren't getting answered? If you are one who looks at Christianity with skepticism and you're not quite sure about it and all, maybe this is on your list of reasons of why you think Christianity doesn't work because you think prayer doesn't work. Praying to a God you've never seen before, how is that going to change lives? However we may come across these kinds of frustrations, they're understandable and they're real. I know of devout Christians who can pray about something for years and it just it feels like they're bouncing like the person is bouncing off a glass ceiling. Why is that? More importantly, how do we fix it? What do we do about it? Well, I want to give you some ideas through a prayer acronym that's four letters. And if you've been around church for a while, maybe you already know this one, so I'm not going to reveal the whole thing all at once, but know this about any prayer uh, system or or mnemonics or anything like that, they're not a magic formula. It's not like get this right and all of a sudden all your prayers instantly get answered. But I want to relate each of these four steps that I'm going to give you. I'm going to relate them to how they answer this question. How do I pray with power? Okay, That's going to be the engine that goes through this model of prayer. The first part of it. Sets off with the letter A for adoration. In other words, letting worship be a part of your prayer. Where it is nothing except worship. Praise. It reminds us that we are not praying to a two-bit piddly God. Rather, it reminds us who, or it allows us to remember who God is. That we are praying to one who has all power who has all knowledge, who is holding all things together. And while we often, if you have prayed for any length of time, we often appreciate that prayer has an intimacy to it, that it fosters a relationship with God like a child to a father. You know, Jesus says, come to me like children, you know, where we're innocent and we're just, hey, daddy, you know, and and there's an intimacy and there's a love there. But when we start our prayer with adoration or worship, those two words can really go interchangeable. It puts that relationship into perspective. 
Here's an example out of my life. I try to be a dad that my kids can come to. I've got three right now. Our oldest one is now 10 years old. But as they get older, I realize they're going to make mistakes in life. I certainly did when I was you know, going through my teenage years and all that sort of stuff. And I want to be one who, when they make a mistake or they mess up, they go, you know what, I need help. I know my dad is there. I'm going to call him. Over an attitude that says, oh no, I got in trouble. I need help. My dad's going to kill me. You know, I just crashed the car. I can't call dad. He's going he's gonna to kill me. Now, though I love them to pieces and I want to be as much as I can as a human dad, I want to be that kind of dad that they will come to uh, at all times. Will I let them disrespect me or their mom? Not if they ever want to see their Barbies or the Legos ever again. So how does this put power into our prayers? It reminds us that though God offers us relationship and intimacy in our prayers, God is still a God of power. On to the second part of our acronym. The letter C for confession. Now, I get it. Our culture has an allergy to the word sin. And that is not just a outside of church thing. Sometimes that is within church culture. We just have this aversion to any idea of sin being in our lives. But the fact is, this whole topic of prayer is only possible because of the idea of grace. Which, because of grace, we are offered forgiveness from sin. Clearing out the roadblock between us and God. Imagine, if you wouldn't, I'm going to use a, an illustration here. Imagine that you have the power of prayer is like water flowing through a pipe. Okay, this is a nice clear pipe. Water can just flow right through it. Comes, you know, if I hooked up a faucet here, water would come out with some power here. It should fr flow freely. Now, sin is like taking a paper towel and shoving it in the pipe. Okay, what's that going to do? If you've ever um, had to try and clear out a sink or a toilet or something like that, it's going to clog it up. Now, it's like I could attach this thing to a fire hose and all I'm going to get is a trickle out the other side. So what does confession do? How does confession add power to our prayer? It takes out the clog. Nice clean pipe again. Now, when I put my fire hose of water onto this end, you know what? There's a fire. I don't want to be on the business end over here because I'm going to get knocked over. There's power in it. Notice our worship, at least when we're doing worship in person, it is put together in a similar fashion. I know we do things a little bit different online as far as the worship context and, and order, but when we're in person, we have a call to worship or an opening song that is usually one of adoration, of pure on worship, recognizing how awesome God is. And by comparison, we realize that we don't measure up to that standard or to that degree of awesomeness of this God that we are worshiping. And so we have a prayer of confession to acknowledge that and to do something about it, to clear out the pipe so that the rest of our worship 
it doesn't have sin clogging it up. How about our third idea? Thanksgiving for tea. If you want some power in your prayer life, it certainly helps to recognize those times when God has answered prayer in the past. If you followed our church at all for any length of time, you probably have heard me talk a bunch about the idea of God's track record, of God's history of what God has done in the past. Well, here's the truth. That's not just my idea. It is critical, a critical part of the entire culture that the Bible is written into. Jewish uh, tradition or Jewish culture is built on story. That's why if you were to read the Old Testament, you were constantly hearing these stories almost to the point where it would be nauseating of God's done this and God's done this and got us out of that and helped us out here and there. Those memories are what kept God's people going. And it keeps us going as well. Why do I say that? How, how do I say that? It keeps the Christian life from becoming like a roller coaster of emotions where it's, <coughs> our faith life is up and down and up and down and up and down based on our emotions, which you know can change uh, hour by hour. One theologian, R.C. Sproul, said it well when he said, forgetting the benefits of God is the mark of an immature Christian. One who lives by their feelings. They are prone to a roller coaster spiritual life, moving quickly from ecstatic highs to depressing lows. They live from blessing to blessing, suffering the pangs of a short memory. Their obedience and service are only as strong as the intensity of the last memory of blessing. What if, instead of having a short memory, we had an elephant's memory? Always remembering the, the times God answered prayer the times God showed up. Then what it does, instead of having this roller coaster life where we're, we're riding emotions and emotions are driving things, things start to level out. And we can have a horrible day and you know what? It doesn't sink us that much because we know God has been faithful for a hundred past prayers. And God has gotten us through a hundred other times that we've had a rough day and so it levels out. And we can start to mature because we're not on this crazy roller coaster. Let's finish out our acronym here with the letter S for supplication. It's just another word for what do you want God to do? What's the prayer request, as we often say it? Let me pull this all together for a bit from what Paul says in Philippians 4.6. He says this, Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Again, supplication is just the um, $6 word for God, please do this requests. In leading up with the, uh, the first three letters, the first three parts of this whole thing, A for adoration, C for confession, T for thanksgiving, now S for supplication, God still wants us to ask, God, please heal Aunt Bertha. Nothing is too big or too small for God to answer in prayer or to care about in prayer. But here's maybe the final clog that can get us hung up when it comes to our prayer requests. Because this is all us and our desires talking to God, right? What about the whole will of God thing? Maybe this is one that 
it takes a little more time within the realm of Christianity to really care about, but I'm going to throw it out just in case it has crossed your mind. What if my prayer request doesn't fit the bill? You know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer as we did earlier in our service, Thy will be done has always been the most dangerous prayer to, to pray. So let me bring this around full circle. When we're praying regularly, with those first three things I said, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, such a practice helps us to mature in our faith. Because our prayer life is not just about, God, this is what I want. Thanks. See you later. But there is a fuller relationship that is growing out of our prayer. We're kind of covering more bases with our prayer discipline. So as we mature, our will, our desire, starts to line up more and more with God's desire. Our desires start lining up more, and our prayer requests stop feeling like this tug of war against God, like we're praying something that God wouldn't want to answer, and more like us working with God. So this week, try making acts a guide for your prayers. And that's what it is. It's a guide. It's a model. Just like the Lord's Prayer is a model. It's not a magic formula like say these words and magically everything is going to happen the way that you want. Rather, it's a tool for us, as we've been seeing, for us to see power in our prayer and to grow in relationship with the powerful one who answers prayer. Let's pray together. God, thank you for being one who cares enough to hear our prayers, who loved us enough and was powerful enough to set things up that our prayer would matter. Help us to use prayer not as just a, a way of seeing you as a vending machine or a magical genie, but a God of power that wants a relationship with us more than anything else. That's why you did all you did. That's why you wrote this story that we look forward to in Easter. Help us to claim prayer for that relationship. In our lives today, we pray. Amen.